Welcome to the Cheshire Police Federation podcast in association with number one copper pot credit union. Hello, it's that time again when I say welcome, or better, I'm glad you've returned to the Cheshire Police Federation podcast, which we continue to bring you in partnership with number one copper pot credit union. This is season two, if you like to keep track of these things, or if you don't, then it's episode 15. I'm your host, Andrew Simpson. Today, I'm joined by Dan Lever, who is the Cheshire Police Federation's full-time equality and well-being lead. And while he has been a guest previously, we're happy to have him in our studio for the first time, given that we've left behind, hopefully forever, our small corner of the internet to enjoy in-person conversations instead. Hello, Dan. How are you? Uh, morning, Andy. I'm really good, thank you. How's yourself? You? I'm all right. What do you make of the studio? I'm quite impressed, to be honest. It's, uh, I feel all technologically gifted. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's brilliant to uh, to have you. Now, to start, we're recording this in late September, which is a couple of months on from when the government ended all restrictions that it imposed in England during the coronavirus pandemic, the final step on its so-called roadmap towards returning to something resembling normal life. And I'd like to just dedicate the first part of this episode to what actually that looks like for a serving police officer. Let's start with you, Dan. Is your job, inverted commas, back to normal? I think the first, the, uh, first thing to say really is what does normal look like anymore? Um, we've all been through a very different 18 months and I think that the lay of the land has, has changed somewhat for everyone. If I was to discuss my role um, in particular, just before the pandemic we'd, we'd reached a stage where more and more people were talking about uh, their own mental health issues, which, which was a major stepping stone forward. Um, that's continued throughout the pandemic and certainly after the pandemic Um, but one thing that's absolutely come about over the past 18 months is a real emphasis on financial well-being and I've noticed a lot more people um, starting to talk about financial well-being and difficulties they're having as a result of the pandemic such as partners losing their job being furloughed um, businesses going under it's left people in, in really quite precarious places and, and that's something that we really need to grip hold of now before really the situation gets any worse. Has that come as a surprise to you, the kind of scale of that or, or more people raising that? Because obviously you deal with financial wellbeing issues, it's part of what you do, but as a consequence of the pandemic, has that been something that surprised you of, of how much prevalence there is of this? If I'm honest, no. Um, I think the the writing was on the wall uh, very early days, certainly with police officers who've got partners in working in the private uh, private sector. Um, When you couple that then with pay freezes, um, it's no surprise to everyone, no shock to everyone that we've effectively had a a pay decrease over the last 10, 11 years. There was always going to come a point where it caught up with us in some way or another, and I think the pandemic's just accelerated that. Okay. if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the part that you and also the branch can play in Cheshire to help with this particular issue. What have you kind of been saying to people when they've been coming to you? Going back to what I've said several times, really, um, we obviously initially had the, a lot of stigma around mental health and people talking out about it, uh, particularly in the police. Financial well-being is very much still stigma attached. Um, there's very few people who are comfortable talking about it and I'd even put myself in that bracket if I'm being honest with you 
Um, and I think it's a lot of the time through a lack of knowledge. Um, without sounding disrespectful, and I again include myself in this, but burying heads in sand. Um, so I think the best thing that we can do really is keep promoting what financial wellbeing tools we have in our okay. kit. People that, that officers can speak to, get the right advice from, they can speak to them privately without having to raise anything through the force. Um, it, it's really about awareness at this point and, right. and letting people know that there are answers out there for them. There are people who are qualified to give them answers and help them through that type of situation. So it's quite interesting. It's not it's not the case that necessarily you don't have the, the provisions or some of the suggested solutions in place. They are there. It's actually joining the dots and, and letting people know about it rather than the fact that they're not there to start with. Yeah, they're definitely there. Um, there's multiple options, there's multiple places that people can go for, go for assistance, but again it's this almost reluctance to accept that position uh, until it's almost too late uh, and debts are mounting and it's really difficult to, to get back in a good place. How do you tackle that then if people are, if kind of that hurdle is, um, I'm not going to say admit, but acknowledging that those issues are there, how hard an obstacle is that to overcome, how do you kind of tackle that? It's difficult. Yeah. I'd even go as far as to say it's probably more difficult than getting people to open up about the mental health. Really? Yeah, and I, I've not got an exact answer as to why that is, but the best way we can go about it, in my opinion, is to keep talking about it, make it a common subject. Yeah. So many people are in financial difficulty, particularly now, and people aren't on their own. We need to make people aware of what help is available, keep promoting that. I'm not necessarily asking for or, or encouraging people to come talk to me or another Fed rep. We need people to be able to feel comfortable in going to these um, other places of support and asking the questions themselves. When you talk about financial difficulty, can you kind of, just for the benefit of listeners, what that actually look like looks like in practice. How severe are we talking? In terms of severeness, uh, severity even, um, we've got officers who are going to food banks. Right, okay. Now that, that's no exaggeration. Uh, there are officers going to food banks and that, that just shouldn't be happening. Uh, it's difficult to get your head around understanding how that's even happened. And that that's a number of issues that's probably cause that person or those people to be in that position but okay. we really do need to be doing our best to support those people particularly in this kind of uh, particularly working in the police it's easy to understand then if that's happening in in some cases why there is that shame or that stigma it's, it's very easy to see why you wouldn't want to talk about that uh, yeah absolutely and, and again i can understand that totally um i've had financial difficulties in the past and it's really, really, even talking to my own family about it, yeah. it's really difficult. But so you, you can you can feel very much alone. Um, and like I've, I've said earlier there, the stigma attached to it is absolutely huge. Whilst hopefully, and I say hopefully, we are in the kind of final stages of the health emergency element of the pandemic, how much do you think there is still to discover about what the impact of, of, of what's happened in the past 18 months will be from a well-being point of view, or do you think we've got a, f a kind of handle now on 
on what those issues are and it's about addressing them or do you think there's more to unravel? Hard to say. Yeah, I think it is hard to say. Um, being honest with you, I think there's there's a lot more to come. I don't okay. think I don't think we're we're at the end of that situation where we can sit there and confidently evaluate basically what's going to come out of it. Um, I mean the Office of National Statistics um, ran a survey not so long ago um, to find that one in five. Uh, people were experiencing depression since COVID. Right. It was one in ten previously. Uh, one in eight had developed moderate to severe depressive symptoms since COVID. So, again, we're going to have a delay in people talking about that, people realising that. So, th- this could go on for some time, really, to see the after effects of it. And I think okay. that certainly the other big thing for me is a, a lot of the officers who, who are new into the force haven't experienced policing to its full potential. Right. It, there's going to be kind of a rude awakening for some people, really, when things are more normal than they have been. Just to to bring this section to uh, to a conclusion, um, and you did touch on this in an earlier answer, but I'll just I'll just uh, drill a little bit deeper on. I mean, in July, you wrote an open letter addressed to the Home Secretary in response to the police remuneration review body's conclusion that an overall pay award to all officers was outside of its uh, the scope of its remit this year. It's been published on the Cheshire Police Federation's website and I'll include a link to it in the show notes, but just, you know, with your wellbeing hat on, what message did that decision send to you and, and, and to, to members? Well, if I talk about my, how it made me feel, it was a case of we don't care about you. Right. You, you're nothing. You, we, we don't value the job you've done for the last 18 months and do you know what, you're on your own. Now that has a massive massive impact on, on the way people think Yeah. and I can guarantee the majority of people in the police that you speak to feel massively let down by that and at a time when we're struggling with staff, with, with coming out of Covid, um, a number of factors, it's just another knife in our back. And that's really difficult to keep people above and and hopefully motivated going forward. It, it's just it's another another knife in the back, like I say. And, and, and there is a reason I left that question to the last bit of this this section because you'd set the scene for generally about financial well-being during the pandemic. This has come you know within the last few weeks or last couple of months. This, this the news of this decision. So the final question for the, for this part was going to be what are the consequences for your members from that financial well-being perspective of no pay rise it's compounding a load of the things you've explained in the first part of today's episode yeah it, it makes the situation more difficult it's another hit to the pocket of police officers it makes the the financial restrictions that they've got placed on themselves more restrictive and it makes it even more difficult then to get themselves out of that hole and it just makes the task more difficult and that's why we've really got to raise it as, as a huge priority. Not just a, a tagline, not just a tick in the box, it, this is a real problem and it's a real problem that could cause huge issues for people. The Cheshire Police Federation's monthly podcast is sponsored by Number One Copperpot Credit Union, a not-for-profit organisation that offers financial services exclusively to the police family. It's free to join and provides access to savings, loans and mortgages all directly from your payroll making it easier to manage your money. Lots of members use Number One Copper Pot to save for events such as Christmas or holidays, 
or simply to build a rainy day savings fund. To find out more or to apply to join, visit number1copperpot.com. The Cheshire Police Federation podcast in association with Number One Copper Pot Credit Union. For the second part of this episode, we're going to talk about a consequence of some of the issues we addressed in part one. Now, to set the scene, Dan wrote an article in the spring 2020 edition of the Branches Cheshire Beat magazine about presenteeism in the force, and he's returned to the topic in his editorial this summer. Now, for those that don't know, that's when officers feel compelled to report for duty even though they're unwell and are less productive as a result. Now, Dan described it as a silent problem back then, one that might be even worse in the police service than in other parts of the public sector. Um, Just to continue setting the scene down before we get into the detail of this, can you just start by explaining to our listeners or reminding them why a police officer might be more susceptible to presenteeism? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's important to probably stress, first of all, that presenteeism um, is a major, major issue, in particular with younger police officers, okay. uh, younger people. Um, if you then couple that with the fact that the majority of our new students are in an age bracket of 18 to 24, which is the key bracket, there's clearly a, a problem presenting itself. The, the reasons people, particularly in the police, wouldn't... would be affected by presenteeism is lack of worry about a lack of promotion opportunities, a lack of uh, lateral movement into into other posts, such as wanting to be a detective, putting pressure on the team. As I've stated previous times, um, staffing's although it's improving, it's not it's not great at the minute. Um, not letting the team down. Not wanting to let management down in fear of what management may say. Okay. Uh, there's, there's a number of it, it, it's a stigma in its own right. Yeah, and, and look, it's probably important to stress that absolutely this isn't a issue that is specific to policing. It's something that's being talked about and discussed now across the entire uh, workforce, irrespective almost of, of what you do. But just to continue from that police perspective what is the potential impact of presenteeism if it's not addressed what are the sorts of things that occur as a consequence of it if it's left to kind of unfold the biggest concern is it'll result in long-term sickness at a later stage at the beginning if someone's got an illness um, uh, whether that be mental health whether it be physical and they ignore that and carry on because of the fear of, of what we've just discussed. The likelihood is that it will result in a long-term sickness further down the line, which then has a, a significant impact on the organisation and what and, and our productivity. The, the other issue you've got with it is, while you've got people in work who are ill, they're not as productive. So, sure. so in terms of production levels and what we can do as a as an organisation, it's really limited because these people aren't, for want of a better phrase, firing on all cylinders. They're they're not at the top of the game. Statistics, uh, if you look at right across industry as a whole, presenteeism on an average year costs around about, well, it's it's over £15 billion. Wow. It's significantly higher than absenteeism. It's a huge, it's a huge issue, and it's something really. When we talk about prevention is better than cure, this is the area we need to be looking at to say, do you know what? We've identified this person 
may be unwell, let's assist them now before it's too late. Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit, I know this is something you're interested in at the moment and people can read a little bit about this in, in the piece that, that I mentioned when I set up this section, but can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic has complicated this issue? Looking at it now, in hindsight, the pandemic really should have been an opportunity to, to deal with presenteeism. We've seen huge amounts of workforces, including the police, um, move to remote working. Yeah. And it should really have been an opportunity to, to concentrate on output rather than presence. And I think that's really one of, one of the biggest issues. Um, people are still of the mindset that being seen to be active on their laptop is what constitutes um, how much work you're doing. Now, you know, as well as I know, you could sit there moving your mouse about for a whole eight hours doing very little. So, so the output is minimal. Yeah. Yet people will then stay working for hours above that at all times of the day or night to try and show that they're doing extra work. It, it, it doesn't marry up. Um, so we've created what's what's now being termed as digital presenteeism. People are now working even more hours than they were when they were in the office. So you've now got people who've got ready ready access to a laptop, a work phone. They can dip in and out of that of that um, technology whenever they want, and they are doing. Yeah. But to what end? So we've ended up, and it's probably, almost certainly in fact, unintentional, but we've moved the issue from the work, the physical workplace, whether that is an office or, or wherever you are based as a, as a police officer, just to another location. And a lot of the issues have, have remained, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, massively. I mean, again, statistic-wise, number of working hours across the world has gone through the roof. It's gone up <laughs> since we've moved to this remote and hybrid type work and it's it, it, we've, we've created another problem and I understand we've kind of been rushed into it, it sure. it's been a kind of right we're going to have to do this because people's health is at risk but now we're, now we're considering it as the future and yeah do you know what we can actually do this type of working in policing in certain departments we need to look at it properly we need to, we need to be dealing with it properly it can't be on an ad hoc basis it can't be just go and work from home it needs to be managed properly. It's probably important at this point for us to say that it's not necessarily the case that your team leader or your supervisor or someone that is you report to as a line manager is, is there saying you need to be answering that email at 11pm or you need to be making that phone call at 7am at the other end of the, of the day. It's not necessarily that that we're saying. It's just kind of some of those factors that you set up with this about not wanting to let people down, you know, generally higher workloads anyway because of loads of different reasons, staffing being one of them. It, so it's, it's important to point out, it's not that people are kind of tapping you on the shoulder and saying you've got to be doing these things, is it? That's We should say that really. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's I've never had that feedback. Right. So I've, I've certainly had no one coming up to me saying, flipping heck, I've got my sergeant, my spectre, whoever... Breathing down my neck, can I? Yeah, breathing down my neck. You need to answer this whenever it comes in, whatever time of day or night it is. I, th I think one of the big issues is you've got people who... You'll have people who do this who will work ridiculously long hours, perhaps when they don't have to. It then it, it breeds and other people are like, well, 
they're seen as being a really hard worker because they're doing all these extra hours. Are right. they going to get more opportunities than me or better thought of? So that then follows, they'll work longer hours. Not because anyone's telling them, but because of a culture. Sure. And that's what we need to be really careful of. Can, can you see that? It, it's quite easy to see then how this behaviour comes about. I mean, I think of my own, you know, I, I work from home. No one says, right, this is when your day starts and this is when your day ends, which sometimes if you're kind of clocking in to do a shift somewhere, you know, you physically go to that place and you physically leave it. There's kind of quite clear boundaries that separate your work day from your other, other activities that you do in, in your life, whatever they may be. So... There are reasons how this how this can happen, you know, those those kind of blurring of those lines if you're if you're based at home for a little while or part of your working week now is gonna be at home. It's it, no one's there at five o'clock saying, right, you're done you're done for the day. It's quite easy to see how some of these behaviours can creep up, isn't it? Yeah, easily. It's um for some people it's it's just quite natural. People have just fallen into it. If you like, without, without we've had no guidance, have we? And, and I think that's no. like, like I said before, we've kind of had it thrown upon us. You've got to work from home. People haven't really known what the right or wrong thing to do is. But what we've got to do now is to take a step back and look at it and say, do you know what? Let's look at our working practices. Let's see, a what fits us best as an organisation, and b what's best for the employee. There's, there's massive advantages to be had with remote working or hybrid working. Um, okay. And it's a case of exploring those, really. It's probably fair to say, that in general, there is greater awareness of what presenteeism is, as well, even though that kind of digital element is, is very new or, or has certainly become more prevalent. We understand maybe a little bit more what the impact is on workers, but it's been quite interesting listening to you that there's still probably some work to do in kind of educating people of, of what this is. In the kind of broader context, it's still quite a new phenomenon isn't it so there's still an education element here whether that's to line managers supervisors or, or kind of you know ac- across the across the piece yeah it's um i'm not sure whether you'll be aware of this but for the last set, the last few months um we've been delivering a presentation as part of the the, the chief constable's sergeant's pledge days um that's been around well-being and part of that presentation discusses discusses um, presenteeism, absenteeism, leaveism. And I'll ask on every presentation, has anyone heard of it? Uh, and the vast majority haven't. Right, okay. Through no fault of their own. Um, so it, it kind of, it shows the task in front of us. We've, we've, for a long time, had it drilled into us in the police, the ways we should be working. And yeah, there's a lot of departments that can't work from home. Sure. Um, but there are some now that I've accepted that you know what yeah we can do this hybrid working we can do some days in the office some days at home all days at home and it, it it's a new it's a new venture if you like it's okay. something we need to look at properly though rather than than just um, skim over because you have written down here how do we start to fix it well actually we're maybe not quite there yet we're doing the phase before that which is like you say you're doing these presentations part b of the question of how we're going to fix it is kind of what part does the branch have to play well the first part of that is raising awareness still by the sound of it that's still a piece of work that's ongoing before you get to the here are some potential solutions so that's kind of what where you're at at the moment with this yeah and i think with anything um with most situations you're into the deep end the situation occurs okay and then you learn from it 
and like I said, the pandemic was thrown at us. We've we've done our best with it. Um, there's no criticism of anyone. Now's the time we need to look at what we've done, what's happened, and how we can make it work for for our staff. Okay. And, and what response have you had so far? When you know you said about the raised hands elements of I don't even really kind of know that much about this. So. Um, do you sense there's a curiosity to a find out more and then hopefully in that collaborative spirit with the force figure out ways of how you're gonna address it yeah there's, there's discussions to be had um, absolutely it's I think it's been an eye-opener for some people because again like I said a moment ago it's we've had it drilled into the police if you're off sick you get back in as quick as you can don't go off sick if you go off sick, it's going to affect promotion. It's going to affect job opportunities, and we need we need to move away from that slightly. Uh, there's got to be discipline there with it, and it's got to be monitored properly. But for those people who are genuinely ill, we really need to start looking at things a little bit different in how we work it. And for the long term, for the force as well, let, let's not forget that if we're looking at people who are going to be going off long term sick because they've been going through presenteeism it's creating problems in the long term for the force so we, okay. we can we can certainly work together and discuss how we can make it work properly to benefit both sides of the coin last question on this and it kind of answers itself in some ways the fact that you've written about it the fact that we've dedicated part of an episode to it but where does this sit now on your list of priorities in the in the short to medium term I would say this is probably my number one priority at the minute okay. Um I mentioned it before, but prevention is better than cure. And we need to... The, the chief speaks about it. He wants to have the best police force. And I, I welcome that. I want Cheshire to be the best police force in the country. And I've no doubt it will be. But we've got to do it right. We've, we've, we've got to do it right. And this is a big part of that. We don't want people going off sick. We don't want people working for the sake of working. We want quality. Um, rather than just quantity or just being seen, it's got to be meaningful. It's got to be right for the for the police officer, and it's got to be right for the organisation. Okay, brilliant. Good place to start. Well done. Good okay. job. Yeah, really good. Um, pretty good on time as well, I think. Yeah, really good on time. Yeah, happy with that. Sweet. Are you doing? A, you got an outro? I've got an outro. If you want to do that quickly, and then we can we yeah, can back to me box off. Yeah. Sound. Okay. Ready to go? And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Dan Lever, the Branches Equality and Wellbeing Lead, for talking to us this time around. I'll finish as well with a word of appreciation for those people that share the post that we publish on social media to promote this podcast. That's one way to help us grow our audience. Another is to tell your friends, family and colleagues about what we're doing. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen to previous editions and would like to, then you'll find them on the Federation's website or by subscribing to this podcast through your favourite provider. You can talk to us directly too, by the way. Simply send an email to podcast at cheshirepolfed.org.uk. That's podcast at cheshirepolfed.org.uk. And we'll be back soon. Goodbye.